Welcome to Crafting Solutions to Conflict, a podcast exploring how to deal effectively with conflict, actual and potential, good and bad. Engaging guests discuss a range of insights, and I cover tips and topics based on my 35-year fascination with conflict and my experience helping people with it. I'm your host, Jane Bettle, and my goal is to share a perspective on conflict that is both practical and positive. My guest today is Toby Travis. We talk about trust, and we talk about distrust, and we talk about repairing trust where it has been broken specifically in the realm of education, but with broader application in almost any human relationship or organization. Hello, Toby. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, I am looking forward to our conversation because trust is obviously so important to relationships and preventing conflict and dealing with it once it's underway. But before we get into the details of that, I'd ask you to tell us in a couple of minutes, what has brought you to where you are today? Well, it's been a a long and interesting journey. In fact, often when I'm doing uh, trainings with like school administrators or school heads and principals, I ask them, how many of you plan to be in this role? Uh And and very, very few do. It seems like we all start somewhere else. I actually had a career in show business many years ago and then uh, was in the speaking conference um, seminar business. And um, and then had um, a couple of corporate roles as a VP of uh, international development, and uh, so I've I've been around you know the nonprofit world, the entertainment world, the corporate world, but always had a passion for education, and eventually did end up in the classroom as as a teacher, and there very quickly uh, moved into administration. I think you know my administrators kind of saw that skill set. And, and gifts and empowered me to really kind of move up uh, or down, depending on the metaphor you want to use, uh, you know, okay. to a support role of administrator. And uh, so been a classroom teacher, mostly in the high school uh, level. Although one year I actually taught elementary band because oh no one else would do it. <laughs> Early chops uh, as a school administrator or as a middle school coordinator and had a great experience and still have a real fondness for middle school students. Uh, Went on to be a secondary uh, middle high school principal and then an academic director, and then on to head of school uh, for a number of schools. And also at the same time was pursued to do consulting and training, and I've really enjoyed that. And that's been another big piece of what I've been involved in, especially the last dozen years or so, is actually mentoring other school administrators. So that's that's kind of you know brought me to where I am today, and really the the passion I have for schools and school leaders and their teams uh, developing a culture of trust, and because we just see so many benefits that come from it. But anyway, there's there's kind of Toby's story in a, in a nutshell. Well, thank you, and I must say right off the bat, I tip my hat to teachers at any level. I would last, oh, half a day, maybe. It would not be the right place for me. 
So I have great admiration for those who do that terribly important work. Thank you. So Toby, I have in front of me your book and I look at it and when I see the title, I see Trust Ed, but it's education and it's trust. And I'd like to start by asking you, what motivated you to write a book about this? Well, a number of things. I think reflecting back, my first teaching experience as far as an, you know being a classroom teacher. So I, I had lots of uh, lecture experience and seminar experience, but moving into the classroom and in a working daily in a school environment, what uh, I experienced was uh, just uh, seeing a great disconnect mm-hmm. uh, going on between the faculty, staff, and the administration. And then as I became more and more aware of what was going on on many school campuses, it it wasn't unique. And you saw this um, almost dysfunctional operation of the organizations of schools. Now, this isn't unique to schools. That has been and is the focus of the book because that's where I've been living and working predominantly, you know, these last um, uh, 12, 15 years. But uh, this is a common problem you see in in corporate business organizational management is uh, this lack of trust that goes on between uh, employees and employers. And it is the critical element that has to be resolved if you want to see innovation, you want to see uh, engagement of employees, you want to see uh, just healthy work environments. In the school world, again, what really brings about the passion about it is I have been able to see and discover there is a direct correlation between trusted school leadership and levels of achievement in students. There's a direct correlation between trusted school leadership and retention of quality faculty and staff. There's a direct correlation between trusted leadership and community sport and volunteerism and use of discretionary hours. Um, in the private school world, you see a direct correlation between trusted school leadership and the financial bottom line. Mm-hmm. And those schools are more financially stable when there's high levels of so. Because it's the critical issue of any way that we measure school success. And yet, what I've discovered in my years of research and study is very few schools are setting it as a priority. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Why do you think that is? I think as leaders, we are often reluctant to look in the mirror. Mm. You know, Jim Collins in his great leadership book, uh, Good to Great, you know, he talks about level five leaders. This is, you know, the top type of leader. The key qualities or attributes of those leaders is one, they're mission driven, they're mission focused, but two, they're humble. They're willing to listen to others. They're willing to empower others. They recognize that leadership is all about coaching and supporting a team. It's not about just that individual charismatic leader. And I think this is one of the inhibitors to schools and school leadership doing the work they really need to do is you've got to be transparent. You've got to be humble. You've got to be willing to look in the mirror and say, "Mm, I may not have all the skill sets and gifts needed to do this well and recognize our need to be dependent on others and to empower others. I think that's part of it. And humility, not something that we necessarily associate with leaders much of the time, Right. But essential. I don't want to jump ahead, but I did notice that in your book, when you talk about repairing situations where trust has been broken, how important humility is there. Oh, yeah. But I want to start closer to the beginning. And 
as I think is clear, what you're talking about applies in so many contexts that trust is fundamental to relationships in almost any situation. And when I was thinking about our conversation upcoming, I was wondering, hmm, what does a clean slate look like with regard to trust? And then I thought, well, maybe that's not even possible because every situation is in some kind of a context. There is something that is there before the question of building trust gets underway. But I will ask you, let's pretend that you are a person, a leader who is walking into a situation, you're new to this, where would you begin to understand what the trust situation is and what to do about it? Do a lot of listening and mm-hmm. develop the skill of, of true listening, authentic listening, not just, just listening to figure out what you're going to say next or you know what, what you're going to drive the conversation to. That, that's not listening. What I'm talking about is, is really deep listening where you're asking questions of inquiry. You're digging to understand the situation and take your time. Several studies have shown us that even a foundational level of trust, just kind of a basic level of trust, takes about seven months to develop. And that's with regular interactions with an individual. So, you know, this this doesn't happen quickly. But I just was reading this morning another piece that was talking about how we we size people up in about 30 seconds. (laughs) And we do. We we kind of, the moment you meet somebody, you, you make an awful lot of decisions about that person in your relationship with them very, very quickly. And so, and, and those, those assumptions can be wrong uh, and they can, you know, set up a relationship off to a bad start. But what we know in leadership is before we can start initiating any kind of corrective plans or, or guiding others to greater success, takes a deep level of understanding and it doesn't happen quickly. And so, you know, my counsel to new owners, uh, new business leaders, and obviously in the school world to to principals um, and division leaders who come into a new school, take your time, no rush here, be in it for the long haul, uh, because this is where we will see the most sustainable transformation of an organization or of a school campus. I, I have a couple of friends who are known as turnaround principals. Yes. Now they can come in and they can they can assess problems of a school and they can turn things around pretty rapidly as far as student academics. The trick though is how do you make that sustainable? Mm-hmm. And this is what takes time because you're talking about changing culture. No, it, it doesn't take 10 years, I mean, it, it can happen relatively quickly within, within a year or two, but it's not something you're, you're going to see transition and change in weeks. So the counsel would be, take your time, listen well, listen to you, please. Well, let me give this example, James. So I've now worked at an administrative level in uh, four schools. And Thank each you. time I came in, the first thing I did for the first five months was just set up one-on-one meetings with each employee individually. And I've asked them three questions. Tell me what's great about this place. What do you love about it? Uh, What do you brag on about it? Secondly, what frustrates you? Mm -hmm. What what really kind of gnaws at you and you wonder why can't this change? And third is what I call the magic wand question. If you could wave a magic wand, doesn't matter if it was practical or not, and you could change something about 
our environment or the school or the student body or whatever it may be, how would you use that magic wish? And those three questions in a 20, 30-minute conversation with employees would gain me and did gain me tremendous amount of insight into the organization and into the school community. And I literally would track those conversations and identify recurring themes. And then as I would dive in months later into, okay, what are our improvement initiatives? Here was all this anecdotal research, if you will, mm-hmm. that really relate. And, and then we're speaking to their issues right. where it's, okay, these, these are the recurring themes. Now invite them into the problem solution stage. And that really helps build trust because you are, you are listening and right. you're at first addressing their issues before you start raising the issues of your own. I'm thinking, too, that the very beginning, when, as you say, everyone is sizing up this new guy and making decisions, especially if everyone is aware we're in trouble and that's why we have a new guy, they are watching everything, how it's said, how it's not said, what is done, what's not done. But the very idea of setting up this process that says, I want to hear from you, is the first step in establishing the trust, I would think. Exactly. Sure. Just sort of thinking out loud here. And as I'm thinking out loud, I'm wondering if first you you say this is the process. And then, of course, it has to be genuine, but that there would be a self-reinforcing aspect of this, because, of course, everyone is chatting with each other. So you went in and saw him. So what was that like? Did he really talk to you? Did he really listen to anything you were saying? That there's an opportunity to build and reinforce that trust right off the bat. Right. It's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what your business is. Now, you know, in the school world, right, I, we're looking at uh, student achievement levels is typically how a good school is assessed. But what we've learned about student achievement is that comes by way of internal student motivation, which comes by way of high levels of engagement. Mm which comes by a positive, trusted relationship with a teacher. There's a saying that goes on a lot in education right now, you know, Maslow before Bloom. And what that's talking about is, you know, Andrew Maslow, you know, Maslow talked about, you know, our our basic human needs that need to be met. Bloom is the taxonomy of learning. Well, we can't get to the, the taxonomy of learning until we take care of the relational stuff. And that's really what the book is addressing is, This level of trust that must be in place between administrators and teachers, teachers and administrators with parents, uh, and all of that with students, that is the the foundation, the bedrock to anything else being successful when it comes to school improvement initiatives. It makes perfect sense. Hard to do, I would think sometimes, but makes perfect sense. And I know you touched on the idea of being intentional about the culture, the culture that you're here to establish and nurture, and that having it be one of collaboration, having it be one of, I'm going to say, productive and effective communication can be so helpful. There was an old uh, marketing session that I sat in years ago, and the trainer was talking. He used this line. He said, uh, if you don't tell your story, someone else will. Uh I've used that so many times, and and it's true. We have to be intentional about telling our story and and intentional in creating culture. Culture will develop. Um, (laughs) You know, it it just will. (laughs) And unfortunately, with human nature, often it if it's just left on its own, it becomes negative and critical, especially in our, uh, you know, we have a satirical culture that we feed on in pop culture today. And 
we need to be intentional in being positive and being supportive. That takes intentionality. And, and also recognizing that a business or, again, in a, in a school world, that the essence of the school are the teachers. In a business, the essence of the business are the employees. It's not the product. Mm-hmm. What makes a school great is not a building. It's not a football field. It's not the technology. It is the human resource. It is all about the people. And keeping that focus on, no, when teachers are well-supported, when they are well-resourced, when they are empowered uh, to be professionals, what we find is they step up and do it. Sure. <laughs> well, that that's, you know, you, you, you support people well, you give them the opportunity to do well, and the vast majority will. Absolutely. Bringing out the best in all of us, don't we rise to the occasion or sink? Right. If we're invited to sync, we find ourselves doing that sometimes. When I'm thinking of communication and one particular gem, I have to ask you, I even have the page number jotted down. I love this so much, Toby. I think it's the best. And that has to do with email. Will you please share this particular gem about how to use email? Well, if I can share just a little bit of a backstory, I had been in a corporate setting where, again, emails seemed to be just the source of so much anger, broken relationships. Uh, they, they just weren't controlled. And then I came into a school setting and I'm seeing the same thing. And But in that school setting, I was invited to, you know, at, a, at an administrative level to be able to change some policy. And I suggested to our leadership team one day, I said, what what if we changed our grievance policy to include a statement that says something like, grievances may not be submitted via email. Now, they can be documented, but they must be presented in person. And if submitted in email, the only response we provide is, please make an appointment to talk to me. And do not engage in trying to solve a grievance or a problem or uh, an issue via email. And so we came up with this kind of mantra, uh, email is for information, not issues. And Jane, I'm not kidding, within, this would be an exception about changing culture and and trust levels, (laughs) literally within a couple of months after instituting that, uh, that policy, there was a cultural change to that work environment. Because you know how it is. People in email, for whatever reason, will say things or express things they would never do face to face, and they'll do it in all caps and you know, in emojis. Yes. Yes. Um, and and also, there's the problem of interpreting the the meaning, you know, the 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 the, under, the, the thought behind the intention of the email, and it just creates so much heartache and frustration. Well. Ever since then, in every uh, environment that I've worked in since, uh, that has been one of the policies almost is part of the deal. I'm like, okay, but here's what the grievance policy is going to be. I'll take on this leadership role, but here's how we're going to manage problems. We're going to do it in person. We're going to do it face-to-face. We're going to value relationship, and we're not going to beat each other up in email. Brilliant. It's a gem. It's a gem. It's fantastic. I think it applies in every possible context because we get into such trouble with emails the sending of them, the receiving of them, the replying to them, all of it can be very negative. You know, let me also just counsel our listeners, you know, who are resonating with this. Uh, you've got to be disciplined to enforce that policy, though. Mm. 
Yeah. In our day, we we have become so accustomed to texting and, and messaging and replying back um, that we really have to be disciplined, especially as leaders, that when when that that gripe comes in, that complaint, that grievance come in, that we do, we have to discipline ourselves, do not engage in problem right. solving via email. <laughs> the only thing to reply is, thank you for sharing your concern. Let's talk. When can yes. we meet? Yes. And that's it. Do not engage. And, and you have to, you know, agree as a leadership team, if you're working, you know, with, with other administrators, this is what we have to do together. And that takes a little, you know, just constantly coming back, reminding, here's the value of this, but you do it. And it, it is transformational. Absolutely great. And hard to resist, I'm sure, because we do it so right. often to respond and yeah. we'll get us get this done. It'll be off my figurative desk and we'll be all set and we'll move on. I will ask us to move on to the idea that you express how, and you have some key points you set out, how to deal with a situation where trust needs to be repaired. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what we've found through the research, but also through uh, observation and personal experience is there are four real key elements to this uh, or four commitments is the way I phrase it in the book, uh, a commitment to small and consistent actions. We have to realize that trust is built over uh, repetition of trustworthy behaviors. Um, I encourage those who are trying to rebuild it on, well, make some promises, but make them small. Make sure you can you can fulfill those promises mm-hmm. and, and do that consistently. Uh, secondly, commit to humility, which we've already talked about, and listening. And it, it is just so important to develop the skill set as a listener. This is something that very few people really have uh, a skill at, and it takes intentionality to be a true listener. Uh, Talk about extending forgiveness, a commitment to extending forgiveness to others. In fact, what we found through, through the research is the more I extend forgiveness to you, it's reciprocal back to me. Sure. You know, so uh, excuse me, I'm saying forgiveness, but I'm, I'm also meaning trust. So it's sure. the more I extend trust to you, the more you're going to trust me. And so there's this again, there's this um, this cycle that, that works in building relationship with each other. And then the last one is just committing what I call in the book, committing to re- to complete the repairs. I use this bridge analogy throughout the book. But the idea here is this isn't going to happen quickly and anything of value takes time. And so you have to decide how much do I value this relationship? Or if it's in a a work environment, how much do I value being in this work environment? Because if I want this repaired, I've got to be committed to go the distance and and stay committed until until it's repaired. All of these seem very practical and also easy to forget (laughs) as you're in the process. But very doable, none overwhelming. But again, the idea that you expressed early on of these things don't happen overnight. This idea of seven months, say that again, that is just extraordinary that it takes that level of time. Well, it it does. And you think about, you know, any work environment you've been in, or even just a a new friend that you've made, you know, at at the coffee shop or, you know, at the church or wherever you're, you're meeting new people, you don't instantly become buds, right? That, that takes time to develop. And 
and that seven months is in the work environment where you're seeing right. this person five days a week, right? So in other relationships, it may take even longer to get to a truly trusted relationship. Yeah. It's important in, in the leadership role that, uh, you know, often that I'm working with, with leaders is that we're also assessing that trust mm-hmm. level. That yeah. It's important, again, that we allow others to tell us how we're doing, because when it comes to trust, it perception is reality, yes. right? So yes. it's, you may say, no, I'm trusted. The only one who can <laughs> answer that is the person that is working for you or is responding to you. Know, so you, you may have a perception of yourself that is not, not reality, yes. um, because trust is it is all about perception. How do others perceive you and, and what you're doing in your leadership? And so we need we need to be open to those assessments. Uh, I'm a big data geek. I, you know, I love, and then let's use that trust data to drive improvement of our practice and, and what we do procedurally and what our protocols are and what our behaviors and skill sets and competencies are that need to be improved to elevate that trust. And, and that's really the, the, the cry of the book and the work that I do in, in coaching others is, okay, let's get transparent. Let's mm-hmm. let others assess us. And then based on that data, let's be intentional about improving this because the payoff is, is huge. It's, it's tremendous when we do. It's well worth it. Clearly well worth it. So I would say time has flown. And Toby, please tell listeners where they could learn more about your work, reach you, find out about the book. Well, the book is called Trust Ed, The Bridge to School Improvement, and it's uh, available through Amazon. So that's you can just Google the name of the book or, or my name, Toby Travis. Uh, the website is trustedschool.org. Or again, you just put my name in, tobytravis.org or tobytravis.com, and you'll find more information about TrustEd, the framework that we use for uh, school improvement, which is all about increasing trust levels of leaders in order to drive school improvement initiatives. And, you know, there are applications outside of the school world as well. And I'm involved in executive coaching and consulting as well and available on on a limited basis, but um, available as well to help any organization that's struggling with uh, trust issues. Fantastic. And I will say what I particularly appreciated about the book is very practical. I am all about practical and positive and the ideas of building trust, nurturing trust, repairing it when necessary fits in, in my mind, beautifully with dealing with, let's not have negative conflict. Let's have the interactions where we feel I can speak out loud about an opinion. We can collaborate in a positive way and we can move forward in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure talking with you, Toby. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Crafting Solutions to Conflict podcast, please tell a friend, share it, leave a rating or review. When you spread the word, more people have a chance to enjoy the show. You can also sign up for new weekly episodes on your favorite app. Whatever setting works best for you and is free. You don't need to pay to listen. You can also find the show at CraftingSolutionsToConflict.com. Comments or ideas? Let me know. Until next time, I'm Jane Vettel.